Good morning. How are we doing? Awesome. Um, I am Pastor Cody. I'm the student pastor here. In the light of weeks, this week's tragedies, I would love for you guys to join me in Psalms 31, 1 through 5. It says, In you, O Lord, I do take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your name's sake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. If you guys mind joining prayer for me, that'd be awesome. God, I thank you so much. And in light of all the tragedies that have happened this week, Lord, we give it up to you. And may we seek you in refuge rather than other things of life, God. Spirit, I pray that in times, in the midst of our own tragedies and our own discomfort, God, that you work inside of us and you mold us and shape us and we seek out your refuge rather than trying to seek refuge in somewhere else, Lord. Jesus, guide us, listen to us, listen to our cry, and forgive us for our, forgive us for our sins of taking refuge somewhere else other than you. And this nation has sought refuge somewhere else other than you. So forgive us and forgive our nation, God, for our disobedience. Please hear our cry as we ask that you be our refuge, our comfort our rescuer, our redeemer. Pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, it was a great intro. I'm sure some of you was probably worried, oh gosh, what's Cody going to do? My wife was a lot. I just want to let you guys know that there is a phrase that I want you guys to be asking yourself throughout this sermon. And the phrase is, who is the church really for? Who is the church really for? Because how you answer that question will determine then how you do ministry or how the church will do ministry. Who is the church really for? And I want to dive into a word. I want to describe this word. You may know it. It is called uncomfortable. I want to describe it as a feeling of discomfort or awkwardness. As some of you may feel awkward or discomfort, I just want to let you know these are my best jeans. Just throw that out there. I'm uncomfortable. I never realized my feet was this white. Awkward. Discomfort. And so, as Todd was saying, Cody, I want you to talk about the red light district. I don't know about you, but I couldn't get the song, Roxanne. Students, ask your parents who that was. I'm not going to dive into that. That would be a great car conversation to lunch. But the best way I can describe the red light district is this. It's the place where you are most uncomfortable. See, red light district may be different for me than it is for you. Where you feel uncomfortable at is probably different from where I feel uncomfortable at. 
See, I grew up in the sticks of Ohio. Uh, and when I talk about sticks, like population 500, like my town's not even a town yet. You know, we're, we're 500. And so I grew up with one stoplight. I don't know about that. It was more of a guideline rather than a stoplight. You know, like, oh, it's red, but nobody's coming. I'll go straight. And so I grew up in a very rural area where my friends would go, come to school with manure on their boots, and they wear boots everywhere, you know, even going swimming. That was awkward. Swimming shorts was, you know, not really swimming shorts. They were just cut off old jeans, you know, the jorts. I, <laughs> I love them. They loved the tractor day. Um, and tractor day was the day you could bring your tractor to school. And it was, it was fun, yeah. <laughs> but they wouldn't let me participate because all I had was like an old John Deere tractor, you know, but it was a, more of a lawnmower. I called it a tractor, you know, with a 40-inch blade. That one goes about five miles per hour. The police didn't like that. But so I grew up around the farm industry. I also grew up around trailer parks. In fact, for a period of time, I did live in a trailer. My family lived in a trailer. And so when Todd was talking about the dynamics of the island, I wondered, what is a hick from the sticks going to say to a bunch of islanders? Didn't know that you all were from Ohio. That kind of helps out a little bit. But what am I going to say? So when my wife and I, we came to visit this place, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't really understand, like, plantations. Um, that was a new one because in Ohio, we just called it farms, and I worked on it. Here, they're just houses. That's different, just no farmland. And I also thought it was weird that, you know, there's fences in Ohio to keep the coyotes out. But here, there's, like, fences and gate guards, that's different. How big are your gate guards for, uh, how big is your coyotes for your gate guards that have Uzis? Yeah, you know? I'm just wondering that one. Who, what's coming in to plantations? You know, that your gate guards got to be loaded with shotguns. I'm like, why, why are you living here? You should get out. This is odd. So, uncomfortable. I know that phrase a little bit all too well. And uncomfortable, talk about the red light district, is the people that we're going to call, we call it the mess. And what I mean by the mess, it, it's, it's the service industry workers. It's the homosexuals. It, it's the addicts. It's the trailer parks. It, it's the orphans. It's the widows. It's the widowers. It's the divorcees. It's the single parents. It's the juvenile delinquents. It's the Illegal immigrants, the mess. But above all else of those categories, the mess, we boil down to it, is sinners. So you and me, no matter what background you come from, we are the mess. And I know this because the Bible is filled with stories of how God communicates to us how we should love the uncomfortable, how we should love the mess, because God chose to love the messy. And, and when I read a story in chapter 4 in the book of John, there's a certain woman 
who was considered messy. And I see how Jesus handled that conversation, which inspires me to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn into the book of John, chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 4. And we're going to, start, we're going to pray real quick. Um, God, I thank you so much for uh, your spirit. And Lord, I pray that it may not be of my words, but be of you speaking through me. And Lord, I know there may be somebody uncomfortable here, and they're grabbing onto their seats, Lord. I pray that you ease their hearts. And Lord, may you speak to all of us, not only them, but speak to me as I preach your word, God, of how can we run towards the mess of society. So I want to start this morning in, uh, in the book of John. We'll read in four, chapter 4, verse 4. Start there. It says, and he passed through, this Jesus, passed and his disciples, passed through Samaria. He, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sechar, near the field of Jacob, had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, worried as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it, and it was about the sixth hour. I love this part. This little two verses, because one, it shows Jesus' humanity. See, Jesus was fully God, but also fully human. Jesus was tired and thirsty. And I want to let you know, you have a God, a Savior, who knows what tired and thirsty looks like. Who felt tired and wearied and thirsty. Jesus knows that all too well. He's not a God who doesn't know what tired and thirsty looks like. Parents, he knows what tired and thirsty looks like. And so, in fact, he was so tired that when we talk about the time, the sixth hour, what that meant in that time period was that it was noon. And the season that Jesus appeared at the well was noon was the hottest part of the day. So yeah, he was tired and thirsty, but he, know, he, was, he was burning up. And he, wanted, he wanted thirst. He was thirsty. He wanted water. And then there was this woman that approached him. In verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Samaritans was called half-breeds. We don't hear that term that much. But what that meant was she was half-Jew, half-Gentile. Which means she couldn't really hang out with the Jewish people because she was only half Jew. And she couldn't really hang out with the Gentile people because she was only half Gentile. The Gentiles were like, oh, you're, you're still half Jew. You got some holiness to you. And the Jews were like, well, you have no holiness in you because you're half Gentile. Half-breeds. That's a title. How would you like to be known, as, known in society as a half-breed? But better yet, not only was she a half-breed, but when she showed up, which is she showed up at the hottest part of the day to go to the well. Well, that's kind of odd because 
You wouldn't show up the hottest part of the day to get the, go to the well to get water. You would show up the coldest part. Why? So when you take the water home, it would still be cold. This woman daily would go to the well to get water at the hardest part of the day and walk in the sun. And when the, every day she would get home, that water would always be stagnant. You know what it's like drinking lukewarm water? Not fun, is it? This woman felt so ashamed. She asked a question, why are you speaking to me? She felt so ashamed of her life that she was like, no one should speak to me. Why are you speaking to me? Have you ever felt that way before? Where you've looked at your life and you're like, man, I've done some bad things. I'm not worthy, probably even speaking to. Well, I want to let you rest assured, Jesus thinks you are more than just speaking to. You're worth more than just speaking to. In fact, Jesus says you are worth dying for. See, Jesus knows about that divorce. Jesus knows about that business transaction that wasn't really completely honest, was it? Jesus knows about that night, you want the unholy night, you know? You can't get out of your mind, yeah? See, Jesus knows what you said. In the midst of Jesus knowing the mess of our lives, guys, Jesus says you're so worth dying for. And I believe some of y'all just need to hear that this morning. That no matter what you have done, Jesus looks at you, not what you have done, but says you're worth dying for. And Jesus says, as he approached the common well, I love this part, that he approached somewhere where everybody goes to to get water. See, we all need water. We all... Everybody in the community needs water. You need, your body is 80% water. Jesus chose not to go to the church where everybody prays and looks good. No, Jesus is like, I want to go to a place where everybody, I mean everybody goes to. I want to go to a well where demographics doesn't matter because everybody needs water. So for us, I think point one, we need to be intentional in recognizing our everyday wells where sinners are. Walmart fascinates me. Does it fascinate anybody else? Oh my gosh. I love Walmart and to the fact I love going on the website. It's called peopleofwalmart.com. If you have not experienced that, go do it. In fact, I have tried to be a person of walmart.com. My wife and I, we put on some crazy outfits and been at Walmart in Texas trying to get Walmart, peopleofwalmart.com. It's, it's, it's amazing. But Walmart, what I love about Walmart is that, do you know that all demographics shop at Walmart? doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, homeless. Walmart has all of that. A common place where people go, that's a well. So if you're wondering, where should, where should we go, Cody? You need to go to a place where you know you're going to meet all demographics of life. Where should we serve? Where all demographics of life are at. In fact, Walmart fascinates me. I got a story for you. Twelve days ago, Todd and I was at the Atlanta Bread Company. I'll get there. And we overheard this conversation with some elder ladies about their church. 
And Todd and I was actually discussing what this series should look like. What should we talk about taking to the streets? And we overheard this uh, elderly woman's conversation about her church. But we weren't the only ones. There was this guy named Bob who's behind them. And he overheard their conversation. And he's like, you guys go to church? And the women were like, yes, we go to church. He's like, well, I need help. I came here for a job. It didn't work out. I'm stranded. I got a job interview to Columbia. I need to get there. Can you help me? And the women, as elderly women probably do, got a little scared, kind of did the whole like eating and not really paying attention, hoping that the guy would kind of go away. Have you done that before? Like, oh, I'm just going to, maybe I just do something. And they realized that I'm not paying attention to them. The man sensed that, and he walked away. So I looked at Todd, pastor, and I was like, hmm, pastor, hmm, lead pastor. That was fun, saying that word. (laughs) Lead pastor. What are we going to do? And so he gave me an eye roll, like a 13-year-old girl, like, oh, gosh. And then he gave me this big smile, and I was like, he's going to do something. And so I, I watched him get up. And our food was being called. So I went to go get the food. And I was like going to get the food. I saw him talking. And I was like, well, I'm just going to wait. Because I'm kind of like an energized bunny. And sometimes I freak people out. So I was going to wait for my opportunity. So as I was waiting for food, I was kind of like stepping back. So I could still be a part of the conversation. But not be a part of the conversation. You know, you've done that before in a cafeteria line. Like, hey, just me. Cool. Awesome. And so I was just waiting, and Todd was talking to this man. And we got to the point where we're like, okay, we're going to help you out. We want you to go on your way. And so we started walking towards our truck that was donated. And we got in the truck, and it wouldn't start. And so if you're wondering what kind of hick I am, I took a hammer, hit the, starting, uh, <laughs> the starter, and it got to start. So there you go, a little bit about my background. And so we went up to Walmart, and we got the man some gift cards, some gas cards. And he went on his way. We, started, we prayed for him, told him a little about Jesus, how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament, and that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus for him and his friend. And I don't know if they're in Columbia. I have no idea. They could be in here. I, I, I haven't seen them. But the point is, we, we need to, at that point, we need to recognize a need. We recognize a need. We fulfill a need. And so in us, we need to recognize every day where we're at, where needs are. And as you, if you are a Christ follower, you are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Nothing less, nothing more. And so I come up with a little sub-point, and I thought this was great. It was in our daily interactions, we are to be ready to build relationships. Guys, the kingdom of God is about relationships, not stuff. You can have the biggest church in the world, but if they're not about relationships, then they've missed it. We want to be about relationships and for the congregation to be ready to build relationships no matter where you're at. Just not on Sundays. <laughs> Jesus asked for a drink. Give me a drink. Which is funny because Jesus started with his needs first. And if Jesus asking for a drink shows his humanity then in humanity, it seems to me that it's necessary to ask for help. And if it's, if it's necessary for humanity to ask for help, then it seems to me that fulfilling a help or fulfilling a need 
is also necessary. So ladies and gentlemen, if you think you're too proud to ask for help from the body of Christ, you're not. And if you think, oh, there's no way I can fulfill a need, well, let God work that out. He, you can. It's us being aware of where we're at and the people around us. Jesus answered her in verse 10. It says, if you knew the gift of God and whom it is that was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw the water with. The, the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well, and he drank from it from himself, as did his sons and his livestock. I love here, the, the Greek word for gift is doria. Doria is only found here in the Gospels, but it's also found in Romans and Acts. And every time the word, Greek word doria, gift, is mentioned, it is speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Jesus was thinking spiritual while she was thinking physical. And she was like, where are you going to get this living water? Well, living water in Greek actually means, you know, flowing water. It also can mean the Spirit of God. She only saw, I want the flowing water. But she failed to remember that in Jeremiah 2.13, living water in Hebrew also means Spirit of God. Jesus was thinking spiritual, not physical. Which brings me to a concern of mine. How much, how many times do we miss out talking about the Spirit of God rather than health, well, and fortune? See, Jesus just promised Spirit of God. He didn't say, hey, all of your problems are going to be fixed. No, he says, I'm just going to give you something that is worth eternity rather than just here. I'm going to give you the living water, the Spirit of God. Well, guys, if you have the Spirit of God in you, a point I think this is for Christians, and the point is don't expect the mess to understand why you live the way you do. See, when we approach the wells of our lives and we see the mess, we can't expect the mess to be Christians or understand why we do what we do. See, Bob and his lady friend, they were overwhelmed. They started crying. They were like, man, nobody has been this nice to us. We didn't expect Bob and his friend to be Christians. We are like, oh, we only give to Christians. No. We, we didn't expect them to live like Christians. Their, their little trailer that was parked in Walmart was filled with beer cans. If they took our money and got beer, that's on them. Okay? We can't help that, but what we can do is still be Christ. So the next time they're in Hilton Head Island, they'll remember who is the body of Christ in the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's worth more to me than whether they bought beer or not. So if you're wondering how are we as a church going to live this way, how are we going to live that we're going to spread the word of Jesus Christ? Well, here it is. 30 days, 30 projects, that's just not, oh, that's what we're doing one time. No, as a church, we're going to do that through our lives. It doesn't stop at 30 days and 30, you know, 30 projects, ladies and gentlemen. This was just the starting point. You are to continue what you do in these 30 days throughout to the day you die. Not just 30 days. Not for you to feel good about yourself. No, 
We want you to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, not for you to feel good. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. The message is, I want to give you something eternally, and that's the living water. My question for you, are you living as if you have the living water in you? If you want the living water, here it is. You must believe that Jesus was fully man, fully God. Yes, you have to believe that. You have to believe that he came and he died for not just your sins, but the whole sins of humanity. Get off me focus, go to we focus. He died for all people groups, all nations. And you have to believe that he rose from the grave and he's coming back. If you want the living water, if you want the water that will sustain you for eternity, you must believe in all of that. Not parts, not the parts that makes you feel good. No, all of it. Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, willing up of eternal life. Man, aren't you tired of being thirsty? I am. Aren't you tired of being weary? I am. And if you want that living water, it's in Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the refuge. He is the sustainer. Our goal, a point here is our goal is to live like Christ so that people would want to know Christ. If you're wondering what this church is about, this is what we're about. We're about that we live in such a way that people want what we have. Not material-wise. No, no, no. We want people to want the living water. We want the people to have the Spirit of God. We want people to see, oh my gosh, I want what they have. Not car. We want you to be flashy. We want you to be in the Spirit of God with living water. And I know it may be uncomfortable for you to talk about God to people. I know it is for me. I remember when I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything. Like I, I literally, I, did, I didn't grow up in a church. And so when I became a Christian, I was like, I can tell you what I heard last night. And so when I used to tell people about Jesus, it would be like something kind of like this, like, yeah, we were created and kind of defeats evolution. And there, I guess there's this guy who sewed some leaves together. And then there's this carpenter that came and he and he was awesome and then there's these four horses of apocalypse and hey do you want to know jesus you know like i don't know i don't know to say and to think about oh man the church is calling us to to talk to the messy you know the the addicts the homosexuals the 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 trailer trailer trash those are the people i'm supposed to talk to Yep, because you have the living water. And the living water is, again, what everybody needs. Not just one or two people. Everybody needs the living water. So our interactions with people who don't, ex- don't feel like they're accepted with the church, we're supposed to get it past their appearance and look into their hearts. So point Another point I have is get past people's physical appearance and look into the hearts. And that's hard. I understand that. Because I know 
I know me. I know that I get uncomfortable with people I don't agree with or different backgrounds than me. I confess that. I, I'll let you know that. I, I get frustrated with people. I get frustrated with the Christians who, who live the double standard life, who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet don't live like Christ. I get so frustrated with them. But God humbles me in this, one, in this point because you know why? Because Jesus died for them. Who am I to say, oh, you bad person, you? Because when I read scripture in Romans 3.10, it says, for no one is righteous, not even one. It reminds me, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not good either. <laughs> hey oh. Get past people's physical appearance. Look into the heart. And this is hard for us because as American Christians, we love to hide our really true nature when we come through these doors, don't we? I mean, how many of you are uncomfortable because I'm wearing a t-shirt and ripped up jeans? Ooh, appearance. Image is powerful. I took 30 middle school students. We talked about how image is powerful. The woman said to Jesus, and going back to verse 15, it says, Sir, give me this water so that I would not be thirsty or have to come here and draw water. This woman was so tired of being judged because she would go and get, try to get water and people wouldn't allow her because, oh, you're that lady. You're that person. You have that reputation. This woman was like, I am tired of being judged. And the people she was getting judged by was all sorts of people. It was religious people. It would be the Christians of her time. She's like, I'm tired of Christians because they judge me for my life and I'm tired of that. So can you please give me indoor plumbing so that I may not approach the well? Really is what she's saying. Again, so that I don't have to come here anymore. I'm tired of being a judge. I don't want to come here anymore. Can you just give me indoor plumbing? So I can just pull up water at my house and be hidden in my house so that nobody will see me. And what I've learned from this statement from this woman is that when life gets messy, we are so gullible that what we, really, what we think that we really need is to hide from people and to hide from our sins. This woman's thinking all about her physical, like I'm tired of this physicalness. I'm tired of being judged. But she's no better than us. I mean, we're no better than her either. We hide, don't we? Some of you guys don't come to church because of what you did the other night before. It was like, oh, huh, I don't want anybody to see me. So can you just do instant? I'll watch, I'll watch church on the computer so I don't have to change out of my pajamas. It's crazy how the judgment of others make us do stupid things, isn't it? What happened to Hebrews when it says, Whoa, why fear man? What can man do to me? Some of us, I'm sure, have felt that way before. The guilt trip. And that guilt trip has caused us to do life in a different direction than what we planned. Maybe because we couldn't say sorry. Maybe because nobody said sorry to us. Jesus said to her in verse 16, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have five husbands, 
and the one you have now is not your husband. So what you have said is true. Again, this is not uncommon for us to hide the real self of us, right? Man, if only he, if she would have came up and said, Jesus, you shouldn't talk to me. I have, I've had five husbands. I'm living with some guy. Sorry. No, she was trying to hide. Oh, he knows me. <laughs> oh, man. What now? Yeah, you've had five. And the one you're currently going to live is not your husband. She's, we're no better again. We hide. Man, when our sin is revealed, what do we do? Where do we go? Who's our refuge? What refuge do you go to? When your sin is revealed, is it, oh man, I got to get away from this place because they're going to reveal my sin. Jesus is everywhere. You can't hide from him. This woman can't, neither can we. What are we supposed to do? We're the vessels. I'm not asking you guys that you're supposed to go out and counsel all these people who are messy that's around us. No, I'm not asking you to be counselors. Let God do that. Let God teach behavior, not you. But what I am asking is that you be the vessel and be ready to show God's love and not to expect to be his judgment. My next point. The church is not judgment. The church doesn't judge. The, ju- the church accepts and shows God's love. Does it mean we don't reveal sin? No. We will call because we are to be full of grace and full of truth. But the grace part is that anybody is welcome here. There is no judgment. You are not supposed to fix the broken. Let God fix the broken. Because if we look at verse 24, it says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If you're wondering what the church is supposed to be about, we're supposed to be worshipers in spirit and truth. How awesome would it be if a homeless person walked in here, didn't see judgmental looks, that they saw people worshiping in spirit and truth? How awesome would it be if a couple, gay, lesbian, whatever, came in here and they saw people not looking at them in judgment, but they saw people worshiping in spirit and truth. What is this building about? It's about people coming and gathering, worship in spirit and truth. That's what we're supposed to be about. You're not supposed to cover with a facade. We're broken. I'm broken. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. They're sinners. What's the church about? Spirit and truth, full of grace, full of truth, worshiping together, no matter what demographic you are. Messy, unmessy, spirit and truth. Man, to me, that's a beautiful picture. My, it saddens me that I just hope that I see that picture before heaven. I don't know about you. The woman said to him, verse 25, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Le ego en me. Le ego en me. I am he. The one you're talking about, the Messiah, who's going to reveal all things. I am he. This answers the question, who's the church of Who's the church for? Who is the church really for? Anybody searching after the le ego le eme? 
Anybody who wants to know who is speaking to this woman, Jesus Christ, anybody who wants to, want to hear the word of God, anybody who's messy, unrighteous, unclean, anybody who wants to know, that's who the church is for. It's for the messy. It's for not messy. It's for the righteous. It's for the unrighteous. It's for everybody. Because Jesus Christ, when I read scripture, it says, for the world. So God loved the world. And he gave up his only begotten son. This is not a, an invitation, members only church. Uh-uh. I don't care what your demographic is. This church is for you. This church is for anybody who's seeking after I am who speaks. Jesus Christ. There was a story about people in the at the, in the marathon, I can't say this to the last service, I'll say to you guys because you're the last service and I can run over. <laughs> there is a group of people after the marathon, after running 26.2 miles, they ran to hospitals to give blood. If you've never given blood, when you run 26.2 miles, that's not the time that you should give blood. But these people ran to the hospitals to give blood because they knew that people needed blood. They knew lives depended on their blood. Do you want to know what we're about? We want to be those marathon runners. That when we are tired and when we are thirsty, people will know the living water that we have. And they need to know it. And they need to have it. Just like everybody needs blood. Everybody needs that living water. We need to be those marathon runners that in the midst of our sufferings, in the midst of our trials, in the midst of our thirsty weariness, we will talk about the one who speaks, the Messiah. So I asked my wife to give me something that I could cover up because I'm sure you guys have been wanting me to put on something over my t-shirt because you can see my tattoo. See, just putting on this shirt, ladies and gentlemen, I'm still the sinner. I still have the tattoos. Coming in and covering up in church, that's not what we're supposed to be about. That's not what this church is about. If you want to be a part of this church, then we're asking you that you go after people the people that maybe even make you uncomfortable, but you tell them about the living water that you know about. That's Jesus Christ. My bottom line, if you want to get anything out, hopefully you get this. This church is not about a job interview. First impressions don't matter here. It's the impressions that you do outside of these walls that do matter. If you are a Christ follower, I'm asking you, are you willing to be uncomfortable? We want the homeless to come in here and worship. Yeah, they're going to smell. They may be messy. They may have no shoes. But that's who we're, that's what we want here. And we want you guys to be here, to be in spirit and truth. 
So what we do now, we sign up for a project that makes us uncomfortable. We go where people may not want to go, but we go because we know the spirit of truth and we know the living water. And as I pray, I want the band to come up. We're going to pray because I believe that there's somebody in your life who's maybe a little messy and you need to tell them about the living water. God, thank you so much for your heart and your word. Thank you so much for the gospel that we as Christ followers are called to be imitators of your son. And I pray, may this church be a church of spirit and truth, be a church full of grace, full of truth. And Lord, in the midst of our uncomfortableness, I pray that you work through us because it would be only through you, God, that we can work in our uncomfortableness. Lord, thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for your love and your grace. You are awesome. And God, if, I, if we don't know the Lego MA, I pray that you work on their hearts and they come talk to us. May they put on their, on their little connection card, I want to know about the living water. I pray these things in your gracious and holy name. Amen.